Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio today. Great to be with you. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as we were talking before the break, uh, we are 76 days from Inauguration Day for the President of the United States. And we are actually just 60 days away uh, from the inauguration of Spencer Cox as uh, Utah's next governor. And these transitions are so vital. It really sets the course for an administration in so many ways. And even those who are going to Congress and into county council races, transitions really matter. Uh, so really pleased to have rejoining us on the program, uh, former Governor Mike Lovett, uh, who is the master of transition planning. Uh, Governor, thanks for joining us today. Well, uh, thank you, Boyd. Happy to be back with you. Of course, a lot of people are uh, focused on the hand-wringing and the number counting and crunching in, uh, in a lot of these races, uh, but you're one of those who uh, knows the clock is ticking uh, on some really important things in terms of transition planning. Uh, you were part of a, a significant effort that really became law in the country, uh, especially at the presidential level, in terms of even in the middle of a campaign, why planning for the transition is so important. Yes, until 2010, um transition planning in the country, that is to say for the president, the presidency, um, actually was done very casually and haphazardly. And it became evident, I think, to many people that uh, that had to change. Transitions of power are a moment when uh, nefarious uh, enemies uh, could take advantage uh, or there, and it could result in lots of um, uh, unfortunate things happening in the country. So, in 2010, the Congress passed a law called the Presidential uh, Transition Act, and uh, when Mitt Romney ran for president, um, he asked that I chair his uh, transition, and we were the first to actually implement that law. Now, as we speak, um, of course, both the, the, uh, the Trump White House and the Biden campaign have been engaged in transition activities for almost six months. Mm. Wow. And that's uh, that's so vital. You think of all the things going on around the world and in the middle of a pandemic to boot, uh, that that transition planning is is so vital. And I, I know that you have uh, taken this. You had a great article in uh, Deseret News a little while back in terms of why that same kind of planning uh, is so vital at the state level as well as you transition uh, 
in uh, governor's races. And uh, we know today there were a few announcements made uh, by the governor-elect, Spencer Cox, uh, naming some key people and a transition plan. Uh, But tell us, why is that so vital at the state level, not just the national level? The time between an election and inauguration, and of course in the context of a governor, uh, you don't have near it quite as long. Uh, Typically it happens on the first Monday in January as opposed to uh, January the 20th uh, for the federal. And so you have roughly three weeks or two and a half weeks less, and you still have to build an entire new team. This is a transition of, of power, and it's the peaceful transition of power, which is the hallmark of of our uh, demo- uh, democratic society uh, and um, vitally important, but a lot to do. And uh, at a time like this, when we're in the midst of a pandemic, when we have all kinds of other issues that are bearing down on us, uh, having a, 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 having time to anticipate and work on it is useful. I think Spencer Cox has been working on it for uh, a couple of months now. Not that he was taking the election for granted, but uh, you mentioned the article. I called on both uh, he and his Democratic opponent to start transitioning uh, transition planning now, and faithfully they did. Uh, so vital. If you're just joining us, we've got former Governor Mike Lovett on the line with us, uh, someone who understands these transitions and just how vital it is both nationally and locally. Uh, also, just uh, breaking news uh, in the last hour, uh, Governor-elect Spencer Cox has named a transition team. He's also named a chief of staff, John Pierpont. Uh, will join as Chief of Staff Jennifer Napier-Pierce, uh, will uh, be a Senior Advisor and Director of Communications. Uh, but then this transition team, uh, which I think is so important, you have Lynn Ward, uh, great thinker, and uh, Steve Starks from the Larry Miller Group are kind of serving as co-chairs to that transition. And then some real smart folks, Austin Cox, Natalie Gochner, and, uh, of course, uh, Rich McKeon, who you know a few things about his ability to lead. And uh, so those are all great uh, people that I think will be very helpful in this transition. And uh, Governor Levitt, I, I wanted to to have you share a little bit. I think one of the, the hallmarks of your roles, whether it was as governor of the state of Utah, whether it was in your two cabinet positions, you really worked off of kind of these 200 and 500 day plan strategies. Uh, I think that changes the way people govern uh, if they do that. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, this is a technique that I actually picked up um, during our preparation for the Olympic Games while I was governor. We realized that we had to have short-term task lists, but they had to point toward a larger, longer-term vision. And so we started developing um, 500-day plans with a 5,000-day horizon. Mm. And they would be rolling 500 days, so every... Uh, periodically, uh, roughly every uh, couple of hundred days, we would redraft the plan. So we were looking at what our immediate priorities were and then ask the question, are these leading where we believe the state or or, or whatever the uh, the objective is, is it leading where we want it to go? Are we going to reach the right destination if we keep at this? And uh, I found it a very effective planning construct, and I started using it in transitions. And uh, so Spencer Cox undoubtedly is looking at what his first 200 days needs to be about. How can he fulfill all of the commitments that he made as a candidate? And uh, does it move him more toward what he is committed to do in the next 2,000 days, say? Yeah, I, I think that's so vital. And uh, 
to me, one of the interesting things, especially when you're looking at uh, at something like a pandemic, uh, it's so easy to become uh, very target centric. In other words, you're looking to the next press conference or you're looking to the uh, the next release that has to go out as opposed to, uh, you know, this 500 day plan with a 5000 day horizon. Uh, I think that just leads to political leaders or elected officials uh Far too many seem to be worried about their own political problems as opposed to solving the people's problems. Uh, how does it, how did this help you uh, really make sure that focus was in the right space? Well, an example um, I'll use. Um, we knew that the state's economy was changing and that we needed to be preparing for the new economy, the tech economy, and that we needed more engineers. And, uh, but that wouldn't happen overnight. So we developed what we refer to as the engineering initiative, which um, was designed to double the number of engineers over the course of a decade that we graduate from our universities and colleges. But for that to occur, we obviously needed to do a lot of individual steps that could be done over the course of, say, a year or two. And so we laid out the vision, which was to have double the number of engineers uh, within a decade. Then we began the process of taking the steps required to do that. We had to get legislation passed that would appropriate the money. We had to develop the relationships between uh, universities. We had to change graduation requirements to get more math. And I'm happy to say, looking back, that uh, it worked. Wow. Uh, this state has thousands of more engineers that have graduated, and it's been a keystone to our economy. So there's a short-term goal that produced a long-term benefit. Well, uh, so appreciate your thinking, your willing to, willingness to engage uh, in these kinds of conversations. Uh, to me, these are the things that should be mandatory for everyone with an election certificate uh, should have to go through the uh, Mike Levitt uh, 500-day plan school because it helps you get past just, uh, as you said, just the campaign promises or bumper sticker slogans and really get into governing and leading in a way that uh, that really makes a difference. Well, uh, thank you, Boyd, and I feel confident that the state's going to be in good hands, and uh, there's lots of careful planning and a lot of challenges to meet, and uh, I'm pleased about the fact that uh, we can have elections and can have transitions because they work to, they, they renew our democracy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, uh, Governor Mike Lovett, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Inside Sources. Always love to see how your mind grinds through these things that uh, really are at the heart of leadership, uh, one of the great exports of the state of Utah. Mike Lovett, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the State of the Union post-election. Find out what it looks like, what your job is next. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com 
or wherever you get your podcasts.